This morning's readings begin in Genesis 2, 4 to 8, and continue in 18 to 25. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that God, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no one to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in, the, in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last, or this at last is born of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And continue in Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if the two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And although one might prevail against another who is alone, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The word of the Lord. The next reading is from the book of Ephesians, from chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The next reading is from Revelation chapter 19. 
Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sorry, for the mask, I am recovering from a cold and didn't want to risk anything, but um, I am happy to be here with you this morning. Let's pray. God of love, fill us with your Holy Spirit today, that we might hear your words spoken to us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. By the end of October, there will have been seven weddings at Little Trinity this year. Our administrator laments this fact in some level because she has had a lot of work to do. It's a record, at least for recent years, and as most of you know, I am a contributing factor. My wedding was one of the seven. So a passage like what we just heard from Genesis 2 has some strong resonances, not just with me, but with others in the congregation. After all, it's describing the first marriage, the first time a man and a woman set eyes on each other and realized they want to be together, that they belong together. But the point of Genesis 2 is far bigger than just celebrating romantic love or marriage. It reveals something about the character and the nature of God, a God of invitation, a God who longs for everyone to experience the joy of belonging, of being loved, and of being known, whatever their marital status, ethnicity, gender, or occupation. We've begun a new sermon series on belonging, lessons in kingdom hospitality, exploring how we as a church can consider justice work as a work of hospitality, becoming increasingly open to the outsider and the marginalized. And we're starting by seeing how our God is a God of hospitality. Last week, Tim kicked off the sermon series by looking at the nature of God who is love in and of himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, mutually self-giving and ever-loving. The Father pouring out his love and acceptance on the Son. The Son glorifying and loving the Father and the Spirit, the pulsing love between them. God is and was love from all eternity. And then God invited humanity into that relationship, created us to be a part of this mutually self-giving dance of love, to take our place with Jesus, being loved and accepted by the Father, and in turn pouring out our love to the Father. But as Tim said last week, it's not enough for us to just be in relationship with God. And this week we come to this amazing statement that God made in the Garden of Eden before sin ever entered the world. It is not good for the man to be alone. Consider this setting of Genesis 2. Adam is in the garden, in paradise, in perfect harmony 
with all of creation and with God. And yet something about it isn't right. It is not good to be alone. I love what author Tim Keller has to say about this. God deliberately made it so that Adam would need someone other than God. Consider what a humble, unself-centered act this is on God's part. God made human beings to need not just him, but other relationships, other selves, other hearts. To allow humans to need and develop relationships of their own shows an amazing, hospitable, generous love. The same kind of self-giving love that exists within the Trinity. God didn't need to do this. He could have created humanity to love only him. But he created us in his image to live in love, not just with him, but with everyone. It is not good for the man to be alone. <clears throat> and so God created a suitable helper for Adam. And people have taken this phrase in all kinds of ways to justify all kinds of things. But in reality, it's both fairly simple and beautiful. Suitable helper breaks down into three words in Hebrew. Suitable into two words. The first meaning like, similar, the same as, of the same constitution as. And the second word meaning opposite. Someone who is of the same nature but opposite, fitting together, equal, suitable. And then helper. Often this is seen as inferior, or the woman is helping the man as if she's, you know, mommy's little helper, daddy's little helper or something. But in fact, this word is the same word that is used to refer to God. Psalm 70, verse 5, you are my help and my deliverer, O Lord. Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord. Psalm 146, happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob. There is nothing inferior about this word. It's just someone who can come along in strength and help pick up that log that can't be picked up by one person. Suitable helper. So God put Adam to sleep. And in that sleep, a mystery occurred. God created this like, opposite helper to come alongside the man. And together, they bore the image of God. In the image of God, he created them, Genesis 1 says. Male and female, he created them. And Adam rejoiced when he saw Eve for the first time. At last, he cried, this is someone like me bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And there was man and woman together reflecting God's image and God's glory. And they were naked and they were not ashamed. Fully open, fully vulnerable with each other, with nothing to hide. But then, we don't know how much later, things went wrong. Genesis 3 recounts the story of how before too long they fell for deception and disobeyed God, the very first sin. And the first thing that happened after that, the first consequence, is that they realized they were naked. Shame entered the world for the first time. Profound shame. 
at what they had done, but also of who they were, visible for all the world to see. And so they sought to hide, both from each other, grabbing fig leaves and covering themselves, and from God behind the bushes. They no longer felt safe with each other. The relationship had been broken. And this is one of the main things that sin does. It divides. It separates us from each other and it tells us that we are shameful creatures. That we are better off and safer on our own. Where we don't need to risk being judged or rejected for who we are. And we've seen this pattern ever since. In marriages, in families, in religious communities and even in nations. It's safer to be closed off, to put up walls, to stay with what's familiar and known. Like probably everyone here, I know how this feels. At age 30, here's a little bit of my own story. At age 30, I went to a counselor to ask why I was still single. And this began a whole process of discovery all the ways that I had learned to protect and hide myself from the pain of rejection. I'm not saying this is the case for everybody who's single. This was just my story. I had built up a lot of walls. And I began learning to break down those walls, to be open to the risk of relationship. And when, years later, I started dating Ian, that fear rose up in me again. And so I reached out to my spiritual director, She's wonderful. And with her help, she led me into prayer. And I got to the place where in prayer, I laid this fear and this desire for a relationship at God's feet. And it felt like in return, he grabbed me in the biggest bear hug he could have, as if it had been the best gift I could have given him. And I knew that it was from that place of safety, wrapped in the arms of God, that it was going to be okay to reach out to Ian. It wouldn't matter what happened, what the consequences were, because I was safe in that arm. And this is what I wrote in my journal that day. That's the order it has to be. I can't put all my hopes on Ian. That's very unfair to him. God is my rescuer and my safety, my strength and sure foundation. And it is only from that foundation that I can reach out. We love because God first loved us. And we can risk being open to relationship because we know that whatever happens, we are already safe in the arms of the one who loves us. The arms of the one who offered himself to us as the perfect bridegroom. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about marriage and singleness. Some of it very controversial, and most of it which we can't get into today. But it's worth mentioning that as far as we know, Paul was never married. And he stated that it was better to be as he was, i.e. single. Paul was following Jesus, who also upheld singleness and was single himself, the perfect man. And both of them showed us that there was a new way of understanding family, the church. 
The church is to be understood as the new family of God, there to support each other, building each other up and growing through faith. Marriage and nuclear families are no longer the primary symbol of God's blessing. Belonging to the family of God is. Paul doesn't do away with marriage. He speaks highly of it, and he offers advice on how to keep it healthy and to protect it. But rather than being the way that people are seen to be blessed, he sees it as a symbol. And this is why he extols it. Marriage is beautiful because of what it represents. Ephesians 5, verses 31 to 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, <clears throat> excuse me, but I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul says, but I am saying, and that means literally, what he literally says is, but I say to you. And that maybe recalls the same words that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount when he was reorienting people to what God was actually saying. But I say to you, it's the same language, and Paul used it intentionally. Because this is a great mystery. Mysterium. A revealed truth about God and the world. The truth that Christ, for our sake, has taken the ultimate risk of relationship, making himself completely vulnerable. He came as a baby. He made himself nothing taking on the form of a servant and being made in human likeness. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but nailed him to a cross. And in that vulnerability, in that sleep of death, a mystery occurred. Just as Adam's side was opened in sleep and his like opposite, his bride was formed, so Christ's side in death was opened by a spear, and his like opposite, his bride, the church, was formed. And this is our hope. And this is the hope of the church. We have been seen for what we are, for who we are, in all our shame. But Christ hasn't turned away from us. Instead, he's promised himself to us, to the church, as our bridegroom for all eternity. I remember reflecting after Ian asked me to marry him and marveling that he was willing to take this risk of committing to me for life, regardless of what happens. He doesn't know. Like, I could be hit by a bus and become massively disformed. Like, nobody knows what you're getting into, right? But I also was reflecting how much greater an amazing thing it is that Christ commits himself to us, not just for this life, but for all of eternity. This is the God who created the universe, and he somehow loves us enough to say, I want to be with you forever. We, the broken, shame-filled church, are loved so much that God has committed to us for better and for worse for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health, and even death cannot separate us from his love. John Stott writes this, On earth, she, the church, 
is often in rags and tatters, stained and ugly, despised and persecuted. But one day she will be seen for what she is, nothing less than the bride of Christ, free from spots, wrinkles, or any other disfigurement, holy and without blemish, beautiful and glorious. He will bring us to that marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will be united with him for all eternity. So what is our role and our responsibility in this? As the church, we are members of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. We are not alone. We are never alone, despite what sin and the devil try to tell us. We have a family, and we belong to that family, no matter what we look like or where we come from. And we can choose to isolate ourselves, to build up walls to protect ourselves. Or we can risk being open, allowing ourselves to be seen and known and understood from the safety of the Savior's arms. The church is called to be a place of belonging, a place where friendship is cultivated. And this requires intentionality and vulnerability, letting people in. Too often we pretend that everything is perfect on a Sunday. But the church should be a place of safety, a place where we can practice being open and vulnerable with each other, showing our wounds and our shame. And when we're comfortable, we also risk turning inward, being satisfied with our own little circle and trying to protect it. This is a constant risk of marriage, of families, of religious communities. It's a constant risk of trying to make ourselves feel safe by building walls. But the church is intended to be outward focused, reflecting God's love to a hurting and lonely world. There's a book I love called Radical Hospitality, and it says this. You make room for one person at a time. You give one chance at a time. And each of these choices of the heart stretches your ability to receive others. This is how we grow more hospitable, by welcoming one person when the opportunity is given to you. There's a prayer in the marriage service, the Anglican marriage service, and I love it. It's part of the prayers of the people, and it says this. May the hospitality of their, the couple being married, may the hospitality of their home bring refreshment and joy to all around them. And may their love overflow to neighbors in need and embrace those in distress. May we, from the place of safety and love in the Savior's arms, have eyes for the lonely in our midst and take the risk of reaching out as we reflect the image of the one who holds us safe in his arms and who became fully vulnerable to show us his love. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.